The following recording is a presentation of the Brian Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome you to visit our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our service of Berean Baptist Church. Now, I'd like you to take your Bibles now, if you would, please, and open them to 2 Thessalonians, Paul's second letter to the Thessalonian church. Uh, Our text verses are verses 1 through 12, and the title of the message is The Apostasy of the Antichrist. And we've been looking at this passage for several months, and uh, it has been several months because it stretches all the way back to March of, uh, February, March of last year. And so here we are, and we are still in this passage, and we'll try to finish this portion of Scripture today. So I wanted to read through the entire text here one more time, the last time as we look at this message today on the Antichrist. So Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse number 1. Now, we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first and that man of sin be revealed the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things? And now ye know what withholdeth, that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan, with all power and signs and lying wonders, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved." And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Well, this is our fourth message about the Antichrist, and we are discussing Paul's explanation of end time events. Uh, These two letters to the Thessalonian church were written primarily because the church was going through persecution and they were confused about the end times and when the Lord would come back and when he would take his church out of this world and then would begin the shutdown of this current world's existence. Now, in the first letter, in chapter one, Paul commended this church for their faithfulness and for their love, for their hope of Christ's return. And to Paul, this was a model church, a church that he could use as an example to others that he taught. He could recall how they received the word of God in that church and how they've been faithful to the word they received. He said that they were practicing the Lord's command to be witnesses of the gospel. And they announced their faith to those that were in the surrounding communities so that Paul didn't need to go back over that area to speak to people who had never heard the gospel before. And this is because that church was good about uh, sending the gospel out from, uh, from that church so people could be saved. So they were a strong church and others were being saved because of their faithfulness. But there's a problem when a church is strong like this. It's a problem with the world. It's a problem with Satan. That whenever a church becomes influential, when when it becomes a a place where people are being saved and the gospel is propagated and, and the gospel is growing and the church is doing well, then you can be sure that Satan will oppose that church. You can be sure that his demons will be sent out. The evil forces of darkness will rise to try and strike that church down. 
And what Satan does is he prods wicked men to stop the truth from reaching people and converting the souls of lost sinners. And so as Satan does this, persecution arises and he uses that to discourage God's people. That's always been his tactic. And so this means that Christians must be ready. We always must be aware that Satan is out there. As we studied in our series about Christian warfare, Satan is relentless in his attacks against God's people. This world is Satan's domain, and he fights to hold on to it. And so when he's losing territory, you can be sure that he's going to try and maintain his control. And so he will be after us. And we must not be confused by the devil's lies. And we must not give up the faith that we have in Christ and the resolve that we have to serve him. We never, never surrender the truth. Well, the devil's lies and the devil's tactics were the problem for the Thessalonian church. Now, if you look at this text in verse number two, there Paul says, don't be shaken in your mind. Don't be troubled. And then he talks about false teachers and he says, don't let a false teacher, don't let a false message deceive you. And those were two tactics that he, Satan used. A spirit is the word that he uses here, which means a false teacher. And he says a word that means a message or an exposition that's given wrongly, a misinterpretation of God's word. And he says, don't let that trouble you. Don't let it trouble you. Those are two various Very serious methods that Satan uses, and still he uses those today. But for this church, the third method seemed to be the most troublesome. Paul said, don't be shaken by a letter as from us. In other words, someone had forged a letter and said, this is from the Apostle Paul. And what did that letter say? Well, essentially, it said that Paul is wrong. The day of the Lord is at hand or that Paul had changed his mind about that. Well, the day of the Lord is the time that comes after the rapture of the church. And if the rapture had had uh, the day of the Lord was there, rather, the the order is off. The rapture should have come first. They shouldn't be in the day of the Lord. They shouldn't be in the tribulation of the end times. And the problem is, if it's true that they were, then the promise that Paul made, that Christ would return before the day of the Lord and would take them out of the world before the tribulation, that promise can't be true. Now, in the first letter, Paul made it clear that they wouldn't go through the tribulation. He said, God will deliver you from the wrath to come. And he said, God has not appointed you to wrath, but to obtain salvation. Now, salvation there is not speaking about your initial salvation as when you trusted Christ, but rather the salvation is salvation from the end times when the world will be plunged into the worst torments and calamities and destruction in history. So this letter that came from someone, we don't know who, there's not much said in the Bible about it, but it came under the influences of Satan and it was a lie And it was sent to tear down the hope of these faithful Christians and to ruin their confidence in the apostle and the gospel that he preached. Now, think about this for just a moment. If Paul is wrong about the day of the Lord, if he's wrong that they are going through the tribulation, then can they trust him in the in the gospel? Can they trust him about how that a person is saved? If he's wrong about this thing over here, then he's probably wrong about this thing over there. And that's the problem that we face with people who who say, well, you can believe part of the Bible, but other parts you don't need to. I'll get to that in just a minute. But you really don't need to believe all the Bible. Well, how do you determine which parts are true? Which parts can you trust? How do you know to trust the gospel? No, we have to take it all as the word of God and believe every word that's written is inspired by the Holy Spirit. Now, in the beginning of the second chapter, it's Paul's intention to set the record Straight. Now, really, what he's doing is reminding them of what he taught before, reminding them of what 
took place when he taught, uh, was at the church and when he sent them the first letter. So he's going back to a rock to a solid truth, the, 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 the rock that never changes. He gave them the word of God. They believed that it was the word of God, and that word cannot change. Now look at verse number five. He says, remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things, and I will say the same thing. People say that the Bible is outdated, that God doesn't do things today like he did way back when, when the Bible was written. He doesn't do things like he did in the past. I read something the other day that uh, that said, if there are things in the Bible, and it's what I mentioned a moment ago, if there are things in the Bible that trouble you, then you can just ignore them. Read the parts that you like, the parts that you know don't bother you so much. And this person actually said that's what Jesus did, that Jesus changed the word in the Old Testament to make it better and to feel less harsh than it appears to be. And I will tell you, that is the devil's lie. I don't know if any of you heard this or not, but it's been now almost a year, I think, since this took place. But there is a pastor named Andy Stanley, who is uh, the son of Charles Stanley. I'm sure most of you have heard him. Andy Stanley pastors a huge church. But one of the things he, he said is what we need to do as New Testament Christians is to unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament. The Old Testament has no bearing on us anymore. Well, if you do that, then you have just bypassed the entire law of God given in the Old Testament, all the moral law that he's given there. You can't do that. We can't unhitch ourselves from any part of the Bible. It's all God's word, and we've got to take all of it. And Jesus did not change anything that the Old Testament said. Not one word did he change. He fulfilled much of it, but he never changed any of it. So it's the devil's lie. God never changes. Um, The word is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the reason that it is is because God himself is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Bible is the church's rule of faith and practice. It was in the New Testament when it was given. That's 2,000 years ago. And it is still today because we're still living in the New Testament age. Church is here. It started 2,000 years ago. It is still here, and we're still using the Bible to guide us. Well, in this text, the apostle clarifies the reasons they could not be living in the tribulation of the last times. The persecution that they went through was common persecution. It's persecution that happens to all believers in all ages. Now, we may not experience exactly what they experienced But this type of persecution has gone on since the first century. It still goes on. It's it's the kind of persecution that is included in all of the encouragements that we have in the Bible to remain faithful and true to our Lord. Despite what comes upon us, we are encouraged to remain faithful. So this is not talking about what comes upon us. Unbelievers, or rather their persecution, is not what come as will come on unbelievers. They weren't living in that time. Now, Paul's proof of this centers on the activities of Satan in the end times in which he will empower a man who will try to destroy Israel and prevent the coming of the kingdom of Christ. This man is an imposter who mimics Christ. He tries to fool people into thinking that he is the true Messiah. Now notice in verse number four that he opposes everything connected to the true God and then sets himself up as God, even to the extent of going into a reconstructed temple in Jerusalem and sitting as God enthroned. And this man is the Antichrist. In our text, we're highlighting four reasons that Paul gave to prove that the letter they received was a lie. They were not living in the tribulation of the end times. And I want to remind you that the chief proof that they couldn't be is because Christ had not come. Christ will come to take his church out of the world before this time. If it was the end times, 
then they wouldn't be there. Now, Paul explains four circumstances of the tribulation that prove they weren't at the end. These are things that will happen after the church is gone. We've discussed two of them. Today, we're going to talk about the last two reasons. All four reasons are related to the appearance of the Antichrist. Now, the first two reasons we've already discussed, so I'll be brief with those. I do want to mention them again today. That number one, the first reason that he gave is that the tribulation is accompanied by worldwide rebellion. This is in verse number three. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first. The falling away is worldwide. It's everywhere. It's wholesale rejection of the one true living God. This is a worldwide rebellion against God. Well, they couldn't be living in that time because the gospel was advancing. The church was growing. The Roman Empire uh, was being turned to Christianity. The gospel was spreading everywhere. People were being saved. Churches were being founded. The falling away, the apostasy, refers to a large-scale rejection of Christianity, and that simply was not happening in the time that they lived. Now, Christianity, of course, is always rejected by some. We give the gospel hundreds and hundreds of times, thousands of times across the world. And Christianity, the gospel of Christ, is rejected, but there are also many that believe. And we'll see this just a little bit later, that the reason that people believe is because God works in them to believe. Now, we just read a moment ago in John chapter 6, John 6:29, where the people ask, what must we do to work the works of God? And the, verse number 29 has kind of a little bit of a twist to it, that Jesus says to them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him. That you believe in Jesus Christ. And you've got to look at that closely. This is the work of God that does this. But we can't think about what can I do for God. We think about what God does for us. Salvation is always about what Christ does for us, not what we do for God. This is the work of God that you believe. And when God's not in it, when God's not in it, the work isn't done. God is in the world calling people to salvation. He's building his church. He's advancing his spiritual kingdom. And when he is not here, the work is not done. And we are here today as proof that we're not in the end times because the church is alive and we stand in this pulpit week after week, pandemic or no pandemic, declaring the truth, the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. And there are thousands upon thousands of good gospel churches across the world. And they started from the seeds of churches like the one at Thessalonica. Now, reason number two that they couldn't be in the end times is the tribulation is accompanied by the revelation of the Antichrist. There are a few politicians that I would love to call the Antichrist. There are some terribly wicked people in our government. There are some real rogues that make our laws. There are people that have no respect for life. They have no respect for God, no respect for the truth, no respect for what is right, no respect for morality. There are some that have characteristics of the Antichrist. And that's because the Bible says that there are many Antichrists already in the world. Verse number seven uh, says the mystery of iniquity is already working. Now, that mystery that it speaks of is something that is not yet fully revealed. Now, we see some of it. We see some of the activities today. But a mystery is something that has not yet been fully revealed. So, yes, there are many antichrists. But the mystery of who is the one antichrist who is to come, that has not been revealed. There is one person who will unite The entire world against God. And that mystery has not yet been revealed. Now, there are many dictators and governments that stand against Christ. But these governments aren't united on one front under one leader. Because all nations want to maintain their sovereignty. But in the end times, the nations will give up that right. 
and they will be attracted to a supremely charismatic person who will rise to the top and convince them to consolidate their 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 power under this one power that will rule the world. Now, that hadn't happened yet, so they couldn't be in the end times. And they might have been fooled by this. They were living in the Roman Empire, which was exceedingly wicked. But there's a succession of emperors in the empire, not just one. And Rome was always conquering other nations. And the characteristic of the Antichrist when he comes is that he doesn't conquer with war. He comes with a peaceful coalition. Nations gladly join him. They hadn't seen it, and we haven't seen it. Now, there is much more information about the Antichrist in the previous messages that I preached. You can check those out if you weren't here. Uh, But now we need to move on to the third reason they weren't in end times tribulation. So the third reason, this is new to you today. Number three is the tribulation is accompanied by the removal of restraint. Now, we find this in in verses six and seven. And now ye know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time for the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will be let until he be taken out of the way. These are verses about restraints. The appearance of the Antichrist is being restrained. So that he might be revealed in God's timing. I'm sure that you could imagine that Satan wants more than anything to step up the timing of his attempts to overthrow God. Satan wants the whole world right now. He wants it without any encumbrances. He wants to take every church out of this world. He wants every Christian dead. He wants every influence of God in this world gone. And you know why Satan can't do it? And do you know why the church is still here? Though nearly everything that we teach in this church is hated by people in this community. Do you know why the gospel is still being preached across the world and people still believe it and churches are still being started? I think you know the reason. But unfortunately, there are many people that don't know. There are many people that argue about this. The Bible is strenuously argued by theologians and non-theologians alike. The Bible is argued by people who don't read it. It's argued by people who don't know anything about it. I mean, can you testify yourself that you just bring up the topic of religion almost anywhere in an argument? A heated debate starts. So the Bible is argued. And not surprisingly, here we have verses that people disagree about. Who or what is this restrainer in verses 6 and 7? Now, our King James Version says, withholdeth in verse number 6. And and letteth and let in verse number 7. Now, the meaning of that is restraint. Now, something or, or someone restrains the appearance of the Antichrist until God is ready for him to appear. And then those restraints will be removed. Well, what are the speculations about the restraint? Well, some say that the Antichrist can't appear because the government restrains him. They don't want this one person to rule over everybody. Now, in the New Testament, of course, the government would be the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire was one of the wickedest the world had seen. They weren't restraining evil. And I'll ask you, where is the government that wants to restrain evil? Ours certainly doesn't. We're not at work trying to restrain evil. Then some say, well, no, this is the church that restrains the Antichrist. And I beg to differ with that because we're very much aware that there is sin in our churches and we're fighting sin all of the time. We're fighting corruption in the church. Every year we see churches weakening. And quite frankly, some of them just go over to the dark side. We're not good at restraining evil. If you read your paper, especially if you read Christian News, Christianity Today, something like that, or other other publications, you know that right now there are two very well-known ministries and have been known for years that are suffering major immoral scandals. We're not good at restraining evil. Now, a third option is one that's taught by many charismatics and those that are in the word of faith movement. This is one of the options that 
our former president's spiritual advisor, Paula White, thought that she could do. You ever heard these women preachers like Paula White and Joyce Jezebel, Joyce Meyer, say, say that they rebuke the devil? And have you heard them say, I bind you, devil? No, I think that's kind of strange because these women are antichrist and the devil doesn't bind the devil. Jesus said the devil isn't divided. He doesn't fight against his own house. And these women preachers are right next to the devil himself. They're influenced by demons. They don't have any power to bind Satan. It's a fool's errand to say that you can bind Satan. You know how powerful he is? Jesus described the devil's power in the end times. He says this in Matthew 24. Matthew 24, 24. For there shall arise false Christ and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Now, I want you to hold on to that verse for just a minute. The devil is so powerful that the apostle Paul said that he blinds people to the gospel of Christ so that the light of the gospel can't penetrate darkened minds. And when you talk about fighting the devil, you can forget about commanding him to be bound. Last week, we read the letter of Jude. And I don't know if you caught it in that little letter, but we saw that even Michael, the archangel, does not now bind Satan. So what in the world are these charismatics talking about when they command Satan to be bound? They're fools. And when I say they're fools, that's a compliment to their theology, because it's even worse than that. You remember what Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 17:9? And this congregation, I know very well that you remember it because we quote it often. Jeremiah 17:9. Jeremiah said, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? The heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. And notice that word desperately. May I read to you John Gill's thoughts on this verse? He said, everything in it is wicked. The thoughts of it are evil. The imagination of the thoughts are so. Even every imagination and that only and always the affections are inordinate. The mind and conscience are defiled, the understanding darkened, so dark as to call evil good and good evil. And the will, the will, obstinate and perverse, all manner of sin and wickedness is in it. It's the cage of every unclean bird and the hold of every foul spirit. All sin is forged and framed in it and all manner of evil comes out of it. Yea, it is wickedness itself. It is even so to desperation. It is incurably wicked, as it may be rendered. It is so without the grace of God and blood of Christ. That is an intense statement about the human heart and about the will of man. Now, here's a point for you. This is the same heart. That some say, well, we can just up and decide to trust Christ whenever we feel like it. How? How could that happen? Those who think it can happen think too highly of the human heart. That's not a biblical view of the human heart. Now, let me ask you, with a view like that, with a heart like this, what keeps us from living down to our worst depravity? What stops us from doing the worst that we can do? What stops us from doing every evil imagination? What keeps all of us from being murderers and rapists and child molesters and perverts? What is it that stops all of that? Well, let me give you a clue. Romans chapter 1 Paul explained the wickedness of the human heart. And he talked about those who suppress the knowledge of God and will not believe him. They persist and they persist. And then you know what happens, Paul says? God gives them up to the lust of their flesh to dishonor their bodies between themselves. Now, perhaps this may shock you. But the Apostle Paul, one called by God, one ordained for the preaching of the gospel, the Apostle said they change the natural use of their bodies to go against nature. And he said men 
burn in their lust toward each other. You know what he means? Well, he's talking about gender fluidity. He's talking about homosexuality. He's speaking of sex change and transvestism. And then do you know what he says? God gives them up to a reprobate mind. The homosexual says, no, God made me this way. But Paul says, no, you resisted God. And so he removed the restraints. And that's our clue. The one who restrains evil is God. The one who keeps the elect from being deceived is God. The one who stops any of us from killing our neighbor is God. The one who overrules our thoughts and actions is God. The one who keeps the world from giving itself wholly over to this desperately wicked human heart is God. The one who keeps Satan from pulling out all the stops and throwing the curtains back to reveal the Antichrist is God. God's in control. Now, Satan makes you think he's calling the shots, but even Satan is used by God to judge the world. In the end, Satan is God's tool. And then when God is through with him, through with all of this, and he's judged the world, then Satan will be destroyed. Now, we say this is God. But who specifically in the Trinity restrains evil? Well, the Bible says it's the Holy Spirit. The restrainer is the Holy Spirit. Let me show you this from the Old Testament. The wickedest time in all of human history, up till now, was in the days before the flood. The, the first worldwide destruction was of the flood. Now, when you ask most people, what is your favorite Bible verse? Most people will go to John 3.16, usually because that's the only verse they can quote. But John 3.16, that's their favorite. Well, I found Bob back here has a different favorite verse. And his favorite verse is Genesis 6.5. Is this not correct, Bob? And it says, and God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Sounds a lot like what Jeremiah said, doesn't it? You know what comes before this? What comes before that is that God set the timing for the flood. The answer is in verse number three, where it says, and the Lord said, my spirit, my spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. Now, let me tell you what that means. The Lord says, my spirit, that is the Holy Spirit, my spirit shall not always strive with man. This means that God was holding back his vengeance. God restrained some of the wickedness. He held back his retribution against these people, giving them time to repent. And God said the time is 120 years. God gave them 120 years to repent. And then 120 years afterwards, when they hadn't repented, then God stopped striving with wicked men. And so he opened up the heavens and it started to rain. He broke up the subterranean reservoirs of water. They came up from beneath and water came down from above and the whole world was covered with a flood, and everybody but Noah and his family died. Who restrained that evil so that it was 120 years before God destroyed the world? It was the Holy Spirit. And who stops you from living out the depths of your depravity? It is the Holy Spirit. And what happens in the tribulation? The Holy Spirit pulls back. The Antichrist is revealed. And the spirit stops restraining evil. Nobody has seen such a time. Nobody has seen what happens when the evil heart of man is turned loose. And they do as they please and they do all they please. That's the tribulation. That's the end times. And the Thessalonians hadn't seen anything like that. And this was proof they were not living in the tribulation. But I'll caution you about this. The Holy Spirit, of course, is God. He's God all the time. He's present everywhere all the time. And so the Holy Spirit, though he will not restrain evil, does not mean that he will be absent from the world. 
No, he's still here. He works when and where he chooses. And so some people will be saved in the tribulation, specifically Israel. That's the time that Israel comes to Christ. And it's only the Holy Spirit that can do that. And I'll tell you that no one has and no one ever will come to Christ without the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, you can think what you like about what the wicked heart can do. It can't do this. It can't decide to come to Christ until the Holy Spirit decides it will come to Christ. And when that happens, the Holy Spirit effectually calls the sinner. He won't come until he does. And when he calls, they always come. Now, the one who restrains will stop restraining evil men and women. God holds back much of the evil that people do, and it would be a much different world if he didn't. And the tribulation is a much different world. The Holy Spirit will not restrain evil as it was in the days of the flood. God's spirit will stop striving with people to restrain them. Now, when that happens, the Antichrist will be here. He's the worst of all. And and these evil people will follow him like ants in an ant trail. So in lockstep, they will feed the beast. And their hearts will go after every evil he proposes. You know, someone to blame God for these kinds of things. Oh, it's God's fault, isn't it? It's God's fault that there's too much evil. You ever heard that? You ever heard people complain? If there is a God, why do people suffer? If there is a God... Why is there war? If there is a God, why are people starving? So they just keep blaming God, don't they? But they ask the wrong questions and they come to the wrong conclusions. If there wasn't a God, then what else would these bleeding heart liberals do besides kill babies? What else would they do to us? What else would they do besides lust after each other? What else would they do besides go after each other like dogs in heat? What other wickedness would they do? Now, i got to tell you something I thought was funny at the time. I was sitting at my computer. I was getting my notes together. Uh, and this is about a year ago when this message was uh, supposed to be preached. Uh, about a year ago. And, and I, was, I was just kind of typing out some things. And I typed out this phrase, bleeding heart liberal. And Microsoft corrected me. My, my word processor, my word processor said, you need a hyphen. Between bleeding heart. And I thought, thank you, Microsoft, for telling me that. I got the right correction here from a bleeding heart liberal. How, how ironic I thought that was. But, but let me tell you, tell you, tell you more about this. Uh, let me give you Paul's fourth proof that the Thessalonians are not living in the end times. And this one may, in fact, be the toughest of all that we've given. The toughest for people to accept, people who never recognize God's sovereignty and salvation. Reason number four is the tribulation is accompanied by lies substituted for truth. So the tribulation is accompanied by worldwide rebellion. It is accompanied by the revelation of the Antichrist. It is accompanied by the removal of restraint. And now, fourthly, the tribulation is accompanied by lies substituted for truth. And verse number nine, the Antichrist will come with power and signs and lying wonders. He will deceive people by making them think his unrighteousness is righteousness. And so he will turn everything upside down so that people believe evil is good and good is evil. That's scary to me because it sounds very much like today. That's what we see today. I mean, everything that I preached to you this morning, all of this is rejected by the world. And so what do we see? Same-sex marriage is good. LBGTQ is good. Abortion is good. Joe and Kamala are good. And some say Trump is good. That's scary when people call good evil and evil good. You know, when I preach against evil, people say that's bad. Now, get this in your heart. We, we are long past the days where politicians are good. It's just different degrees of evil. Now, the toughest part of this section, though, is in verses 10 and 12. The Antichrist comes with lying wonders. And then verse 10. And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness and them that perish, 
because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause, God shall give them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believe not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. I think that these are some of the most frightening verses in Scripture. Is it possible that people resist God for so long that he withdraws any gracious influences? They want the God of this world, and so the God gives them the God of this world. They don't love truth, so God sends them a lie. Is that hard to accept? Would God stop working for the salvation of people and let people go to hell because they want to? Will he send them a lie to believe instead? I'll tell you something you should pay attention to. And that is we have got to stop trying to make God fit into the model that we think he is. We can't do that. God is no different than what he says about himself in his word. Now, let me give an example of this. In the Old Testament, God raised Pharaoh, who opposed his people. And God said, for this purpose, I raised you up that I might show my power in you. And here's what happened. Pharaoh continually resisted God, didn't he? Just kept on resisting God. He said he would let the people go, but he wouldn't let the people go. And so God kept hammering him and hammering him with ten plagues and still, or nine plagues, and still he would not let the people go. And and what does the Bible say? Well, it says first that Pharaoh hardened his heart. He resisted God. But then what else does it say? It says God hardened him. He didn't want to change his mind, and so God wouldn't let him change his mind. Why? Because God was going to overthrow him and show his authority over the world's most powerful leader. And he did that because it would become an example to the Canaanites later when Israel went into the promised land. And this thing kept being repeated in their ears or they thought about it over and over again. What they did, what Israel did, what Israel's God did to Pharaoh, the great Pharaoh of Egypt and then Og and and Zion, uh, before they went into the promised land. This is the thing. You remember what, what, uh, you remember what uh, Rahab said? Rahab said, we were terrified of you. You know, the Israelites, they laid back and wouldn't take the promised land because they were afraid of them. But the Canaanites had heard what? Pharaoh, the Red Sea, and all that God did, the plagues. And they were trembling at the thought that the Israelites would come in to overthrow them. Now, God wanted to overthrow Pharaoh. Pharaoh would not let them go because, listen, God never intended that he would let them go. And it was to seal Pharaoh's doom and prove God's sovereignty. And I'll tell you, folks, that's hard, isn't it? That's hard to accept, but that's what the Bible says. And you can read it in Romans chapter 9 and in the Exodus. So this is what happens in the end times. People will not believe the truth And so God gives them up to a reprobate mind to believe lies. And then further, he seals their doom. Nothing that happens. All of the, all of the terrible things that happen, all the calamities that come upon the world, nothing convinces them to turn to God. Just like Pharaoh, those nine plagues out of this world practically, weren't they? But Pharaoh wouldn't turn to God. And these people, in the end times, they will not turn to God. So they, though they see so much, they will not trust the real Christ. And why won't they trust him? Because it's too late. God won't let them. God does not change their minds about their evil. And that has to happen before anyone comes to Christ. Now, let me tell you the importance of this concerning the reason that anyone comes to Christ in salvation. And I said it, and I've said it. You can't come unless God lets you. And you can't say, well, today I think that I'll become a Christian. You know why you can't say that? Because there is nobody who thinks that way. There's not a person in the world who thinks this way. That all of a sudden I'm going to change myself and I'm going to come to God. I'm going to give up what I am. I'm going to believe that I'm a sinner. I'm going to trust Jesus Christ. Nobody thinks that way. 
And they will not think that way until the gospel penetrates their heart by the Holy Spirit using God's word. Now, I told you to remember Matthew 24, 24, didn't I? Satan is so good at what he does that if God did not stop him, he would deceive the elect. Nobody comes to Christ unless God says they can come. Nobody, nobody comes until God stops their resistance to the gospel. Well, you hear me say this, and now you wonder, will God let me come? And I say, if you ask that question, the answer is yes. If you ask that question and you come, it's because God already put it in your heart to come. God refuses no one who says, may I come to Jesus Christ. May I come and believe that I am a sinner that deserves nothing. May I come and repent of my sins and ask Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. And you know what the Bible says? What does it say? It says anyone who believes is given eternal life. We also read that in John chapter 6 a few minutes ago. Jesus said, if you believe, then you will have eternal life. So this passage says, since we're not living in the time that they thought, this passage says, God is still striving with you. God is still pushing back an evil heart that resists him. It says, God has not sent delusion so that you would believe a lie. And so... If you ask, may I? The answer is yes. If you ask, it's because God opened your eyes. He removed Satan's blinders. He took away the deceitfulness of your desperately wicked heart. And he gives you faith to trust him. You know, so many people are worried about the doctrine of election. Well, Christ said he had an elect. Didn't he say that? Paul said he has his elect. We only need to go on and read verse 13, which we will soon. Let me make it for you, make it simple for you. If you ask and believe, then you are one of God's elect. So there, all you need to do is just leave the whole thing to God and stop arguing about it. Don't worry about it. You believe you're one of God's elect. Can't get any clearer than these verses. And Paul will follow this up in verse number 13, and he'll show the Thessalonians, you don't need to worry about this delusion that's coming. That's not for you. You don't need to fear the Antichrist. You don't need to fear this persecution. You don't need to fear judgment. You don't need to fear the wrath to come. Why? Because they believed. Now, in the first letter, that's what he acknowledged. They believed. That's how I started the message today. It was proof that they were the elect. And Jesus said the elect can never be deceived. Never to the destruction of their soul. Now, one last word and I close. Today is the day of salvation. That's what the Bible says. We are living in the day of salvation. Paul said, now I'm going to give you four proofs that you're not living in the tribulation. You don't have to worry about the strong delusion and all of that. Those are things that characterize the day of the Lord. But I want you to notice what Paul did not say. He did not say, then instead, I will give you four signs of the rapture. And he didn't say, just look for these signs. And that means the Lord will come. Let me make that simple for you. There is nothing that says that Christ cannot come today, cannot come tomorrow or the next day. There is no sign to look for. There is nothing to wait for. You only need to remember this. If he comes and you haven't believed, you know what verse number 12 says? If he comes and you haven't believed... You heard the truth today and you denied the truth today. If he comes today and you haven't believed, you will be damned today. So what happens? What will happen if Christ comes and you haven't believed? I'm sorry, but according to the scriptures, if you've heard me today and he comes and you haven't believed, he won't let you believe. Instead, you will believe the Antichrist lies. You will follow the Antichrist, and you will never come to Christ. I think this is what the Bible teaches, that if you've heard the gospel before Jesus comes and you refuse to believe, then there is nothing that will convince you to believe afterwards. 
the delusion will be there. The lie will be there. And this is the reason I said these verses are some of the most frightening in the Bible. For someone who hasn't believed and knowing that Jesus Christ could come today, this is an extremely frightening, terrifying prospect that he would come today and you haven't believed. These are not things you speculate with. You don't play around with this. These are frightening verses, but they don't need to be if you trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today. Christ is here for you today. Do you believe? Then you won't be damned. You've heard the gospel. And if you don't want to believe, then what else can I say? Who would you blame for this? Why would you blame? Who would you blame if you die and go to hell? I'm, I'm explaining it all to you right now. Would you blame God for that? God, is that God's fault? How? He permitted you to hear the gospel today. And he says, believe it and you will be saved. The other side of that, refuse it. And hell is your fault. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come today recognizing that we are sinners saved by the grace of God. There is nothing in us that makes us deserving of salvation. Our hearts are desperately wicked. And the only reason that we don't live out those depths of our depravity is your Holy Spirit is striving with us today. The gospel is being preached and people may come. Door is open for people to come. Father, we pray that you work in their hearts that they would. Any person here today who would simply say, I trust Jesus Christ. I repent of my sins. I believe in him. There's nothing that I can do to save myself. It's all on Jesus. That person will be saved. Believe, and they will be saved. Lord, speak to someone's heart today. We thank you again for the opportunity to preach the gospel. Though some things are hard, difficult for us to understand, they are in the word. And we thank you, Lord, that you are sovereign in it all. Salvation is in Jesus Christ, and that's the message that we preach. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Brian Baptist Church of Roner Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Brian Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Roner Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us online at www.bebaptist.org.